All right, hands down. This is my favorite. Hands down. Favorite intro so far. Oh, man. Is that lightning or something? Ooh. It, it gives me goosebumps. It gave me goosebumps while I was writing it. No, I can't play the piano that fast. I'm not that. No. Nope. Didn't write that. Well, I mean, I wrote it, but like I wrote it at half speed and, you know, digitally sped it up. You don't care. All right. Bienvenidos and welcome. I am Lauren Hutton and you already knew that. Welcome to Lauren's podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Y'all are the best. I hope you're having a wonderful week. I hope uh, Christmas treated you well. Um, it's over. If it didn't, congratulations. You made it through. You just have one more bullshit holiday. Sorry, mom, that you've got to live through New Year's. It's the last round of expectations. Oh, boy. Do you go out? Do you go out? Do you have a time for New Year's? I don't. I never really have. I, I've never once been one to, you know, go go turn up for the new year. I've just, I don't know. I've, I don't do New Year's resolutions. The passage of time doesn't really register to me as a thing. Uh, should it, though? I don't know. I don't think that, like, necessarily any of that matters. So you're a year older. So like, you know, you achieved your goals uh, or or you didn't. Uh, guess what? Don't care. Doesn't matter. It's all just another thing. I don't know. At least that's the way that I look at it. Maybe you have a more optimistic view. Hopefully you do. Let's be honest. I don't think the world's great. Most of the people in it suck. You ever met a person? Oh, they're terrible. I live next to people and they're, they're, you know, they're folks, they're folks, man. They're, they're real good folks. Well, some of them, most of you have heard my bit about my neighbors. I mean, if you haven't just, 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 just know, just know that it's, it's bad. It's bad news bears over here on the West side. Oh man. I have a joke about how like I only have two neighbors because all the rest of the houses are boarded up and everyone laughs because that sounds totally plausible. It's not. I have plenty of neighbors. I don't see most of them because they're smart and they stay in their flipping houses. <laughs> We've got one guy. He terrorizes the street and then we have one redneck that lives across the street from him and he just sits on his porch and eyeballs everything. It's super weird. They're going through all kinds of drama. My neighbors are insane. His name is Brandon, for those of you that care. And he has uh, said every possible thing that you can think of to us in like a negative or derogatory way. And I mean like every negative thing that you could think of. Think of every racial slur. Think of every bigoted and like hateful remark that has ever come out of a person's face. It's come out of Brandon's face at me or my girlfriend. Super fun living next to that guy. And, and I used to say that ironically, that it's super fun living next to that guy. No, it is actually super fun living next to that guy now. Because I've, I've slowly begun to realize that he's not a threat. He's just losing his mind one step at a time. Every minute, every single one of us are that much closer to death. Every breath that you take is one more step towards not breathing anymore. And in Brandon's case... 
every single breath that he takes also takes him one step closer towards complete insanity. I'm serious. The dude talks to himself more than I do. And I mean in like an aggressive way. In a, in a front yard kind of way. I talk to myself in a backyard kind of way. If I notice that there are other human beings around, I shut that noise down. Brandon doesn't have that trigger. Brandon will walk around. No, he doesn't walk. He stomps. He stomps like an angry four-year-old. And just with his head down, just muttering angrily. And you can make out every sixth word and all you can ever make out are just things that, that don't give you any context. But they definitely let you know that he is not feeling whatever is going down. I'm a backyard talk to myselfer. I, I, I understand that that might make certain people nervous because I am a six foot three white dude and my voice is very deep sometimes, especially when I'm just muttering to myself. And that can come across as a threat to a lot of folks. It definitely comes across threatening when Brandon does it and he's only five foot five. Oh, I'm guesstimating. I'm also screaming his name, and we live very close together, so I probably shouldn't be screaming his name. <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter. He's already threatened to shoot us, and then uh, we put up a bunch of security cameras, and then he got real nice for like a hot minute. And then he, he would like also he would be nice in one way for one day. And then something would happen, and then he would lose his shit again. And it, Sorry, Mom. He would just start muttering that front yard talk to yourself nonsense. Oh, man. But now that more time has passed, he, he made a couple of attempts to be nice. And I was nice back, but I made no effort to like go out of my way to wave at the guy or talk to him. He called my girlfriend a bitch, and he threatened to shoot her. I'm not going to interact with you. Sorry, bud. Both of those strikes are third strike. You're out. <sighs> he doesn't seem to understand that. I've, I've, I've tried to explain that to him multiple times. Like, we have no reason to speak to each other. Shut your face. And yet still, he finds it entirely appropriate to do things like at me, but not to me. Do you understand what I'm saying? I got out of my car the other day, and we have street cats. That's right, street cats, west side. One of the little street kitties was wandering around, and it was late at night. I got home, I opened my door, and, and there, there, there it was. Just sitting on the sidewalk. So adorable. I squatted down as soon as I got out of my car, and I'm just like... Mm. Come on, come on, here. Come here, get him. I pet you. And then, you know, as soon as I stood up from behind me, I hear Brandon start going like, and he's just sitting on his porch like a golem. When I say Gollum, I mean Gollum. He is like hunched over. He's got a cigarette lit in his hand. It looks like the shine off of the one ring, the rule them all. He looked very Gollum-like. Not Gollum, which is a more generic term. Gollum. Sorry to nerd out. I don't know why. That's a weird hill to die on, right? <laughs> the pronunciation is just a slightly more specific reference. That's all. That, that's, that's it. Anyways, why am I ranting and raving about Brandon? That's not what I wanted to talk about. I didn't want to talk about somebody that drives me crazy. I wanted to talk about somebody that makes me feel good about myself. Uh, a friend of mine, we're, we're going to call this, uh, this is a segment called, I know this person and they're great. 
And I, I, I this is Josh, no last name, because I don't know if he wants everyone to know his business. I'm going to be telling some stories that involve Josh, and and he doesn't always look great in some of the. <laughs> Me and Josh go way back, and we're we're kind of a, a rambunctious bunch. Now here's the problem. There was a certain point in my life when I lived in Louisville, Kentucky, that I spent a lot of time with like three different Joshes. It, it, Two of them are probably going to listen to this podcast, and uh, you you guys will know exactly who it is, because, uh, yeah, that's right, the episode title, Glordal! It's not going to make any sense to anybody other than me and these Joshes. To explain Glordal, okay, so we all, uh, we were in Bible college together, that is where I met this particular Josh, and we immediately hit it off, uh, primarily because we had very similar backgrounds. I'm an adopted child raised by my biological mother in a group foster home. He was all of those things, except his stepdad didn't adopt him. I'm a little fuzzy on the, on the precise details, but the, the long and short of it was that both of us were raised in group foster homes because our parents decided to take in foster kids as a job. And that, that can render certain things. Uh, it can render a very positive result for any of the foster kids that are involved, as long as you're actually providing a nurturing home. You don't have to do a lot with a foster kid, especially if they're older, like teenage years. Just make sure they're not doing something that's going to hurt themselves and, and stay out of their way. <laughs> it's pretty easy. Encourage them to do things, you know, uh, but don't make them do stuff. I don't know. Why am I explaining how to raise a foster kid? I don't know how to do it. I didn't do it. I just grew up underneath it. And, and very similar to my experience, for some reason, my mother decided that I would always be the youngest child, uh, which doesn't make any sense because there is no like rite of passage. I got picked on and bullied, not bullied, but you know, teased and, and older brothered to by by many a foster kid and and older sistered too as well you know uh, if you count all of the kids that floated through my house over the course of foster care uh i think it's like i have 28 brothers and sisters if you count them all it's insane there are a lot of kids my parents did it from like i was age three to about age like 13 ish maybe a little younger than that uh and and there was a lot of kids that, that, that floated in and floated out uh, my parents were able to to basically overload their house, but in a, in a legal way by the state standards, by uh, utilizing the basement living room as, as a bedroom as well, and bunk beds galore. They overloaded that house with children, and because of that, they were able to put down a down payment on a very, very nice home with lots more bedrooms uh, so that they could run it like a group home. Um, and that's how it was for a long time. Uh, they built a 10-bedroom house in a tiny town called Carlisle, Ohio. Shout out! That's right. They still live in that house. They're still renovating it and fixing it up because that is daddy's retirement. That's right. Oh, boy. A 10-bedroom house on a little 10-acre plot. That is what I grew up in. That was what I was used to. And it was always full of other kids to play with. And then... Like I said, around like, I don't know, 11 to 13, somewhere in there. Uh, parts of this are very fuzzy to me. But around that time, uh, some stuff started to go down. And my parents, this isn't what this episode is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about Josh. Uh, but the long and short of that story is that my parents lost their license 
um, through no fault of their own other than just like loving kids, you know. Uh, but the state was a little like, oh, you're loving them wrong. How dare you? These, the, the children are developing and they're, they're growing social skills and they just want to stay with you. That's not right. Warren County, uh, it wasn't the state. It was, it was the county, it's a smaller entity that works with social services and uh, any, any person that has dealt with social services in any sort of aspect, it all comes down to the individual caseworker that is assigned to what you are doing. People are terrible. And you could be assigned a terrible caseworker that's in charge of kids' lives. Uh, people that thought that they wanted to get into you know, social work to make the world a better place. And then they find out that it's just paperwork and boring nonsense. And they get bitter. Uh, happens all the time in all sorts of professions. Uh, that's why we have bad doctors. <laughs> I want to be a doctor. And then you find out that you got to touch people's poop and you're like, oh, this is terrible, but I already spent so much money on med school. There's no going back now. I'm just going to be a poopy general practice doctor. Anyways, Josh had a very similar situation where his, his mom and, and you know, his situation was also foster kids as a job. Uh, but my mom had certain rules and standards. Like, uh, the only similar one that it seems like for Josh's family was that I was, um, I was to be the youngest. And so was he, that was a rule so that, you know, you never got to grow up and then also bully younger foster kids. You were always the baby. Uh, and that'll, that'll just, Oh man, you want to talk about breeding a narcissist? Uh, yeah, let's give him the youngest child syndrome. Uh, with, you know, amplified effects because he's being subjected to uh, way more personality types and, and broken types of, of kids than, you know, normal. Um, not that the, I don't know if that has a negative effect, but in, in my friend Josh's case, it 100% did because my mom, she would get people that had issues. Like we had a kid named R Ronnie that, that would poop on the floor like as a retaliant. I tangled up his yo-yo strings and he took a dump in my doorway so that like it was just there. I stepped over it and I went, wait, what's that smell? And I looked down, it was a little dollop of turd. Um, not sure how he got, it was like a, a miniature cow patty. And I'm not sure how it came out of him like that. Oh, he must have had very soft stool for it to just plop and create a patty like that. Anyways, that was his way of retaliating. He had some problems, you know, some park aphasia problems. Um... But any hoozle, most of the kids, like that was the most extreme case in my situation where, you know, I had a kid that doo-dooed. That was, that was his retaliation. I was a worse kid than most of the foster kids that we had. I almost burnt our house down because I was a little pyromaniac. I would just light rolls of paper on fire in the bathroom because I could turn the vent on, right? And it would suck the smoke away and you wouldn't smell it as bad. But I didn't know that if you threw a flaming wad of paper into a plastic trash can, it's just going to melt and fire go everywhere. I was young. Uh, but yeah, I was, I was a rambunctious little tyke. <clears throat> but in my friend Josh's case, his situation was way more severe. Uh, he has told me stories and things and, and I don't want to go into too much detail about, you know, his childhood and stuff, but suffice to say that his mother didn't screen the kids nearly as, um, I don't know, uh, scrupulously as, as my mother did, or at least that's the impression that I got from the stories that he has told. Um, what one in particular, this is the only thing that I will tell you just because it's the most compelling thing I can remember. Josh told me a story about how he would lay in bed 
and he could hear the kid in the room next to him scratching through the drywall and whispering that he was coming in there to kill him. No, that's not a hyperbole. That's what I remember my friend Josh telling me. That's terrifying stuff. And then, and then here's the thing. Here's the thing where I was I was very much so uh, in a different and and an entirely different league of a situation than my friend Josh. If my parents had seen something like that, the cops would have been called, because much like less severe things happen with foster kids, and the cops were called. In some cases my parents called the cops when they should not have called the cops. Like they overreacted one, one instance in particular, uh, my brother, John, he's a foster brother, but you know, sometimes you get close to him and, and, and blood becomes thicker than water or something. I don't know. He's my brother. Okay. I don't know how to explain it. There's no blood there, but like, I wish him a happy Thanksgiving and a Merry Christmas. And I don't always say that to my mom. Sorry, mom. Uh, but yeah, I love John to death. And, um, he, I forgot why I brought him up. Damn it. I was on a roll and a tangent. It's that ADHD kicking in one day. I'll be able to tell a concise story, but, but anyways, uh, oh yeah. The cops, my dad called the cops on John. Um, he was talking to a counselor at school and the counselor told him to write in a journal the way that he feels. Uh, and that way he can get his aggression out so that he's not so mad all the time. And so my brother wrote what he felt and he was like 15 and full of rage, uh, you know, come from a broken home and doesn't know how to process, uh, any of his situation and, and grew up in a very hard life basically. And now he's being told by a counselor to write what he feels and he felt like killing folks. So that's what he wrote as like a 15 year old, And then my dad found it and read the words and uh, I don't know if my dad should have read his journal, but maybe he was concerned and was looking for a way to help. But what he read scared him. And so he called the cops and uh, John spent time in jail for that because his counselor told him to write what he felt and then he had to go to jail versus my friend Josh who had a kid scratching through his wall saying, I'm coming to kill you. And it's not a situation where, where Josh's mom didn't believe what was going on. She accepted the information. And then her response to it was not to call the cops. Her No, her response to it was not to punish the child in any way other than you're going to write sentences. That is how she handled a death threat to her blood child. So yeah, we grew up similarly, but but <laughs> my buddy was uh, in a much more severe situation. Um, but we met in Bible college. He was only there for one semester. And, and like I said, we got really close, really hard. Me, him, and another Josh. There was a third Josh at a different school. Actually, no, he didn't even go to school there. He was just friends with people that I knew. It, 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 this isn't interesting. Jesus Lord. Let's get back to the point. Josh and I... We spent a lot of time together that one semester that he was actually at school. And when I say we spent a lot of time together, he slept 16 hours a day the first semester. It was insane. He uh, woke up just enough to go to classes, just barely to keep the attendance policy in check. 
and to like do whatever assignments he needed. And then he slept 16 hours a day. He grew like six inches. His dick had never been bigger. Sorry, mom. It was insane. Um, and then that following semester, you know, we hung out more, obviously, because he was less of a, a recluse. But he was this kid from California, and he was very interesting to me. And uh, we had similar backgrounds. And like I said, we hit it off immediately. Um, he, when he was sleeping 16 hours a day, he would text in his sleep, and that habit kind of followed. Um, and I don't know if it was brought on by stress or anxiety or what, but uh, all I can tell you for certainty is that that Josh would text in his sleep, and it was hilarious. Um, one time he, he sent something very specific to, to Josh and I, the other Josh, uh, and it just said like hot dogs or corn dogs float over the moon with whales glordal. And that has been, the I don't know why, but glordal has been like the glue that has solidified our relationship for quite some time. Josh is one of my oldest friends and, and he, he messaged me and he, and he said that he was catching up on the podcast and I'm like, Oh dude, I appreciate you. That's awesome. Thank you for, for listening and, and, and enjoying it or whatever. Um, but he used words that were like, I don't know. His specific encouragement was interesting to me because he's always said this. Um, Josh has always said, Tim, you're a legend. Yes. He calls me Tim. I went by my first name for a while, and he's kind of from that era. But he says that all the time. Josh was the one that picked me up and put me back on my feet when I got divorced. Uh, Josh was the dude that when I, I couldn't live with my parents anymore for personal reasons, and I had to find somewhere else to stay, he was the dude that immediately stepped up and was like, dude, bring your shit. Sorry, mom. Just come on. I have a room you can stay in. You don't have to pay me anything. Just come on. And him and his fiance, they, they took me in. And, and and like I said, they literally put me back on my feet. Like I was able to get a job. I was able to get some stuff figured out. Um, and then that situation, you know, things got weird because I lived there, I think, a little bit too long and there was a big grand plan that me and him and his fiance and another friend of ours were all going to go to Colorado together. It was going to be this big thing. And, uh, I started to have wicked panicked attacks. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't understand why at the time, but obviously it was because I was planning to, to move, uh, many, many States away from any sort of family ties. Uh, and I just, I, I couldn't do it. And uh, so I backed out, and our mutual friend was very upset, understandably. Uh, shout out if you're listening. Sorry, but I'm, I still feel bad about that. Um, but you're in Colorado now, so what does... Ah, why do I still feel bad? You made it. Like, I didn't stop you. I may have delayed you by like a year and a half. I am sorry about that. <laughs> oh, but any whoozle. Josh has always been like uh, my biggest fan. He's one of the biggest supporters of me. Um you know, in, in, in a lot of different ways, uh, emotionally, uh, with comedy. He was there the first time that I ever did a show. Him and his fiance were in the audience at Wiley's. They were, they were hanging out. Uh, his fiance got drunk and, and threatened to fight another comic, um, for something that I did wrong, which, you know, that's a friend right there. Uh, 
first time that I was ever on stage, uh, the comic before me bombed real hard, and then I threw them under the bus as soon as I got up there. Um, I don't. I to this day, I'm still not a hundred percent sure if what I did was right or if what what I did was wrong and the worst thing that you can do. Um, but she bombed, and I opened with the phrase. I'm really sorry, guys, but this is my first time at comedy, and uh, I'm probably going to be as bad as her. That's not that funny. Um, but after listening to silence for five minutes, the crowd was hungry and ready to laugh, and so they they blew up like that was uh, bow. The first thing that I said on stage got like a solid laugh from the whole room. Um, that's wow. Okay, but on the flip side of that, at, after the show, I. Um, I didn't get many laughs after that. Like that was the best laugh that I got. And then after the show, I was walking out of the room and I saw the person that I had said this about or two. And I walked up trying to apologize and I'm just like, Hey, I am. I'm really sorry for what I said. Uh, like, I, like I, I'm, that was, that was real. I've never done stand up before. And I'm really sorry about what I said. And, and they looked up at me and they were like, what do you mean? I didn't, I, I, I bombed so hard. I left the room immediately after my set. And so I told them, I told them what I had said. <laughs> oh boy. What an honest and naive little shit. I was sorry, mom. I, I told them and they immediately flipped out. Uh, and I, and when I say flipped out, they used the word shit more than I have in this entire podcast. Sorry, mom. But it was it was just like uh, it was twelve phrases that all came out at once like like a buckshot, peppered with the word shit. I oh man was she mad. <laughs> I don't remember exactly what what all was said, but it was things like I've been doing this for several years and I I work really hard on my material. How dare you! Now that's that's coming from a person that you know I didn't know her. I was some schmuck that just like wandered in off the street and threw her under the bus. I've never told a joke on stage in my life, and I got up there and and got enough laughs to be arrogant enough to go to her and just be like, "Hey, sorry, bud. Sorry about that." <laughs> I don't know if it was right, wrong. I don't, I don't. I don't know how to interpret that situation. But I went outside and I was upset because she had cursed at me a lot, and I was trying to do a good thing. And I, I don't know if I was doing a good thing. But when I explained what had happened, Josh's fiance, who is born and bred on Long Island, and had had one too many of those mixed cocktail drinks that those comedy clubs like to make so strong. She was ready to fight a bitch. Sorry, mom. But holy crap. Uh, she was so ready to just throw down. Um, yeah, that was a fun night. But yeah, Josh has always been one of my biggest supporters. He, uh, The entire time that I lived with him, he called me a legend. He always said that, that you know, this is going to be your year, man. This is, this is going to be your year. And uh, it never was. It, it still has not been my year. <laughs> Oh, man. I've had some cool things happen, especially this year. It's been fun. It's been a fun year. I have, uh, I finally have solidified the podcast that I want to do. This is it, baby. We're here and we're live. I hope that you guys are enjoying it because it's not going to, this is, this is the final iteration. This is my podcast's final form. 
Do you understand? I've went through many a transformation, the full DBZ, and now we're in the final saga where I went from being a bad guy that transforms nine times, and now I'm a good guy that has half the power. It's super fun. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm a good person. Don't don't mis don't misrepresent the analogy or the the metaphor. <laughs> the metaphor. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, I, I think that's about it. I love my buddy, Josh. I wanted to gush on him and just tell you guys some stories. Uh, he told me that he was catching up on the podcast and he called me a flipping legend. And uh, I don't know how to take that because I definitely don't feel legendary. But he, he's enjoying the show. Uh, you know, it's funny, though, because like I, I hope he messages me again in like a couple days when he listens to the rest of the episodes. Um because he might he might tell me which uh thingamadoodle that he likes. Um Okay, so here's how that's gonna work, thingamadoodle. I'm talking about intro music, y'all. I don't know how we're gonna pick one. I say we. It's up to us, the wild bunch. Well, I don't know. Am I the wild bunch or am I just the charismatic leader in this cult? Uh, who knows? Who cares? We'll find out together. What does the Kool-Aid taste like? It's always watermelon. I uh, just go to go to the the Facebook page if you haven't uh, like that page, and then somewhere just post on the page the uh, episode title of the intro that you like the best. Uh, maybe it was ADHD. Maybe it was irregardless. Uh, maybe it was Lauren's Learning Corner. You want to go all the way back that far? Uh, but yeah, any, any time that y'all want to just post that on there, uh, I don't know when I'm going to post this. I, um, I'm getting a little, a little fast and loose with the, the posting like last episode. I think it went up Wednesday night. Cause I, I hit a wrong button. <laughs> That's right. You know, them tricky touchscreen buttons, how you just, you know, you can hit a wrong one. Cause your fingers are the size of, you know, a little, I don't know. I'm tired. It's really early in the morning <laughs> to be doing this. But I guess uh, that about wraps it up for this one. I love you all. Thank you so much for listening. This, is, this has been fun. Like I said, I'm, I'm having a blast being an idiot. And uh, maybe one day I'll feel like a legend. <laughs> love you josh love you john lots of shout outs uh shout out to the other josh and the third josh you know who you are baby oh boy howdy uh yeah i if if, if i do another one before the new year i'll see you then otherwise have a wonderful new year i hope you fulfill all of your, your stupid little uh resolutions yeah that's what they're called resolutions get them done get after it or don't you know just give up on them quick put put yourself out of your misery all right toodles <laughs> <laughs>